Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Huge thank you to production. We were here all yesterday. We have a bunch of new sound equipment, but we don't know how it works yet. We're working on it. Thanks, Chad. We, um, we were supposed to get all the lighting. Yes, or uh, f- Friday. What day is it? What year, am I, what year is it? Are we going to move this mic stand? We were supposed to get the, the lighting, but we got the sound instead. But we don't know what we're doing with either of them, so it's not going to matter. Thank you, team, very much. We're still waiting on the lighting. I hope you're coming out to Christmas Eve. It's going to be incredible. Bring your family, bring your friends out. It's going to be a powerful time. We have about a half an hour service. I think that's all the time we need. I can't wait. I wish I was back playing electric guitar like on days like today. I kind of miss it a little bit. Do you miss me? Nobody. Nobody. It's fine. It's fine. I want to read you a scripture here from Romans chapter 5. The Christmas scripture. (laughs) Not really. I'm going to get into the Christmas. I'm going to give you kind of a prelude to the the Christmas Eve. I'm not preaching a sermon there. It's just going to be a few minutes just of sharing. Paul says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, you have to believe that about God. That he always wanted to set you free. That he always wanted to get you out of where you... I mean, here's the thing. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. So when you see that working out in your life, he, he has always wanted to do it for us. It's to set us, two things, to set us right with him. But then it says this, to make us fit for him. There's a huge difference in that. You can be set right with, you have to volunteer to serve Christ, but you can be set right with, that's like being brought into the family of God, but then there's this other thing, and made fit for. How, how many people know that a baby brought into the family is made right with the family, but not necessarily fit for the family? You're not supposed to stay a baby forever. You're not supposed to stay a baby Christian forever. He says, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus, and that's not all. He says, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. So this is like those hotel rooms that are connected with each other, but there's a door on each side. So what we do is we sit there and we complain because because we feel like the door is closed, and, and God is like, but I already opened my side. So what we do when we come to church and when we come to small group and when we live our day-to-day lives and and try to live them in Christ is that it's our job to open the door. He's already opened his. we got to open ours. And if they were missing something, it's not on his side. It's on our side, which is a powerful thing to hear because we can fix it. It says we find ourselves, this is just a preamble to the preamble to the intro. We find ourselves standing tall where we always hoped we might stand. Listen, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There are days like that when it's the hallelujah chorus and you get everything you want from God and you're standing out in wide open spaces and then it gets all depressing and says, there's more to come. Wait, 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 we just want to, let's just stop there. There's more to come. He says, we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how our troubles can develop 
compassionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. There's four pieces in there. So it's like, good days, you know what? Nobody really needs a lot of faith on good days. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's when you get what you are hoping for. That's what, faith comes before you get what you hope for. So, so here's the thing. Before you get what you hope for, you need faith. Once you get it, you don't need faith. Because you got it. So when you're in the wide open spaces and everything God promised you or something God promised you has come to pass, you don't need faith anymore for it because you got it, right? But it says, but then you, there are these days when you get hemmed in with troubles. You get, your life starts closing in. You get hemmed in with troubles. So, so we get hemmed in with troubles. Well, I didn't think trouble was a part of the deal. Yeah, it is. But there's a gift you get when you get hemmed in with troubles. And let me show you. Let me show you. There's four parts, parts here. We get hemmed in with troubles because troubles can develop passionate patience, which in turn can develop virtue, which in turn makes us alert for what God wants to do next. The reason you don't get what God wants you to do next sometimes is because you're not alert to it. Ready? Ready? Because he's already thrown open his door to you. But you forgot to throw open your door because you're, not, you're trying to open the wrong doors. Don't open the door into the hallway. Open the door into the room right beside you. And so what happens is we're not alert because we don't have the virtue. Virtue means character. It's this like steel of character. Do you know what, you know what this is like? When you meet somebody who does what's right no matter what you think. When your dad did what was right, no matter what kind of fit you threw, that's called character. He did what was right for you, whether you wanted him to or not. There's this thing called character. So we're not alert, so we don't open the right door at the right time because our character is a problem. We don't have the character because we didn't let trouble push us into passionate patience. What a weird phrase passionate patience. I'm waiting. Passionately. Now, there's two types of people. There's the, give me a holler back. There's the passionately impatient. Yeah. Give it to me now. I don't got time to eat healthy, man. Deep fry that thing. Get it to me. You know how much time eating right and how much money it takes? Deep fry it. Throw it in the deep fryer. Throw broccoli in there. I'll eat it. I am passionately impatient. I got 40 seconds. Cook that steak up. Let's do it. I don't have time to do it right. And then we have the other side of things who are not going to holler back. Who are the impassionately patient. One is like, I'm just waiting. My mom and dad, they were in Africa one time. And my mom, you got to understand, my dad is like, hard-working Dutch Mennonite, right? So, like, he got, like, eight jobs. And he's retired now, and he's only got six. <laughs> so, and my mom's Irish, so she just tells you whatever she thinks, and she don't care what you think. And so she saw a bunch of people under this tree, and she's like, why are all these men under this tree? And their guide said, they are waiting. She goes, why don't they go to work and wait? 
Some of, some of you are impassionately waiting. You're waiting for God to try to open your side of the door, but he can't. But your trouble pushes you into this place. Now let me talk about this. Where your clock and God's clock are not the same clock. Because my clock, it only goes up to 30 seconds. And then give it to me now. I don't love waiting for things. But we get locked in this, this thing where we're either impassionately patient or we're passionately impatient. When we have to develop this passionate patience, which means there is work to do in the waiting that can't be done when you get what God wanted for you. It can only be done in the waiting. When trouble comes, it is a gift to get you into waiting in the right way. But as you wait, the tension starts to go click, 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 click. The tension builds up. The tension builds up. Um, I stopped watching hockey years ago, and I started watching English soccer. God bless Liverpool Football Club. It's our year, everybody. It's been 30 years. We've been passionately impatiently waiting for 30 years to win that Premier League title. But it's funny, when I started watching uh, soccer, the, the clock doesn't work like it does in most sports. Most sports, when it hits 60 minutes or whatever the, the 70, whatever the minutes are, when it hits it, game is over. So it's predictable. You and I can wait when it's predictable. God, um, I see everybody else had a baby and I don't have a baby. God, I see that uh, I'm lonely this Christmas and I, or I see that I lost somebody this Christmas and I, and I'd like to feel better by this time today or tomorrow at the latest. That's how I do it. God, I can put up with this for one week. Passionately patient. There's this gift you get. See, in English soccer, the clock winds up, but then they start adding all these extra minutes on the end of the game, if you've ever watched it. And then it's like, Injury time is added. So if a player gets injured or if there's substitutions, then the clock keeps running. And it, all of a sudden you get to the end of a 90-minute game and the tension has been building this entire time. The tension has been building. In the middle of the tension, I'm, a, I'm all sorts of different types of people. <laughs> I'm like impassionately patient. Like when we're not doing well, I'm like, we're the worst club in the world. Why are we, why are we so terrible? I give up. But then I go into this like, passionately impatient where I start talking smack about the other team's fans and how they look and how they dress and the songs they sing and the other players and their noses are too big. And I go into this weird little trash talking moment and I go back and forth as the tension builds and the tension builds. Now, as the clock winds up, it doesn't end at 90 minutes because then it keeps going and they hold up a sign that's an estimate of how much time is going to be left. But the only person who knows how much time is actually left is the referee. And a goal in soccer decides everything most of the time. If your team gets closer to that, you know, you're, you're getting close to like, I, I think we're going to win this game. I think, or, I think we're going to win it. I think I'm going to get this promotion. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to. And as the clock starts winding up, what happens is the 90 minutes hit. And then all of a sudden I've seen anywhere from one minute to nine minutes of added time. And the tension is building. If you're ahead by a goal, all the fans start whistling. Like 60,000 fans start whistling, like blow the whistle ref. 
Ref blows the whistle on his own good time. You've been waiting for something, and you're waiting for something this Christmas time. You have to understand that your clock and God's clock are not the same clock. And not yet doesn't mean no. It doesn't mean no. Relax. I'm going to show you how to wait properly. There's work to be done in the meantime. What's it like when you have to wait for things? The tension starts rising. You start snatching at things or you just get lazy and just stop working. There's so much work to be done in the waiting. In fact, I would say that a lot of what God wants to accomplish in your life cannot be accomplished unless you learn how to wait right. There's so much work to be done. I see some people, they're waiting. They're waiting to meet that somebody so they won't be lonely next Christmas. But the problem is the door can't be opened yet because they're not alert to what God wants to do because their character is not right yet. So you could open the door, but then you'd shut it. Your own character would. Some of you have been waiting for this thing here. You got to wait for your, your, to be alert. You got to have the character, the virtue. To have that, you got to learn how to passionately, it, you got to learn how to work in the waiting. You got to learn how to work in the waiting, but trouble is the gateway to it all. What if you viewed trouble and conflict and you not getting what you want as an opportunity? Do you know anybody who's ever done anything that didn't have trouble that started the path to where they got to? I want to be a great person. Yeah, what, like Martin Luther King? Great. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble is the gateway to it all. But what happens is you and I in Canadian society, we do not passionately We're not passionately patient. We don't do the work in times of trouble. We do not know how to handle the waiting. Let me give you an example of what it it does just in my own life here. Now you think about it. Some of you have been waiting for a long time for something. It might not have been God's plan that you were waiting for, but the trouble is what we do is we tell God what it is that his plan is, and then we tell him exactly how to do that in our lives. So, so Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and then, so, right, but then we want all of the how-tos of all of the things, and we want it all, and we want it all right now. This is how it looked in my life here. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Somebody showed me an engagement ring that's brand new out in the lobby space. Somebody was waiting. I'm not going to point them out. They're just sitting over here. What are you waiting for? Because everybody's waiting for something. You're waiting for something. You're struggling with something. You haven't got that something yet. What are you waiting for? So um, Aaron, Pastor Aaron and I, we used, to, we used to run a youth thing in the town where my dad had his church. And some of our volunteers, when they came here, it came from my dad's church. Awesome people. If I was one of you, I would be like, yes, we're awesome. We did this. Somehow, we were crazy. We did it. But uh, we were given a charge of... Um, we were given charge of uh, doing a youth ministry. And so, when did that clock start? Can somebody tell me? Nobody knows? All right, I'm just gonna keep preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward laughter. 
So we were given charge of a youth ministry that met every Friday night. Now try giving up your Friday nights for like a couple of years. So it was a lot of work, but we were just trying to get kids in the town just someplace to go on a Friday night so they wouldn't get into trouble and just good Christian influence, right? So what we did was, was Aaron and I were put in charge of this. So we gathered a team around us and we started doing this thing. But how many people know that whenever you do anything for God, there's always pushback on the other side? So how many people, I mean, you, get, you join a dream team and then you're like, and then somebody disagreed with somebody and we had a fight because we're doing something. We're not watching TV. There's something to fight about. I want passionate people on teams who disagree with each other sometimes. Sometimes people disagree with me. Just feel something. Do something. Of course you're doing something, but what happened one time there was that was that we had, um, we had come in and we had, we had done a night there. Now, we started doing live music at this place. And so one night I let out because I, I, I used to play guitar. I thought actually I was going to be a musician with my life. That's what I thought I was going to do. But now my own worship team doesn't let me play anymore. I've been replaced. Yeah, you all clapped. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Um. We had a bit of a blow up with the staff there. So I, I did this thing, but some, the anointing of God was on me that day. And I think my mom was there to watch even. She said it was like you could hear a pin drop. I did these live cover songs of different bands like Radiohead that are awesome that nobody knows who they are. Radiohead. And it was a little bit different because back then, you know, what we didn't do is we didn't do a lot of like what was considered Christian music and non-Christian music. It was this huge divide between the two. I still haven't figured out what makes a song Christian or not how many times Jesus has to be mentioned in the song or whether music is okay to listen to if it's not written by a Christian or somebody who says that they're a Christian or I still haven't quite figured all of this out yet because a carpenter can make good carpentry stuff and be a not Christian. And I think I'd rather have a not Christian who's a good carpenter doing carpentry work than somebody who loves Jesus and makes my house fall on my kids. Anyways, I haven't figured this out yet. And so what we did was we did feel the scripture about Cornelius where God sends Peter to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And he says, you be careful that you don't call these people unclean. And right there, I'm like, okay, to reach people who are far from God, you have to get into their world, into their life, which meant to me like, hey, they don't know Christian music, but they know this music. And so what we did was we just said to the kids like, okay, just make sure that it's hub approved. It's the same thing we do here. Just make sure that the music in the lobby is venue approved. Well, what does that mean? No cussing, no dirty talk. It's just got to be clean. Right? So we can, get a, we can get, agree with that. It doesn't mean we're going to sing them all here, but in worship, we're not worshiping them, but we do play a little interesting music sometimes. So there was this kind of thing there, and there was already this tension there, and I was covering some of these songs, but there was still this anointing that happened there. We got 22 kids got saved one night when we did one of, one of these events there in this tiny little town, right? And so the Spirit of God was moving, but we had to be very careful that we didn't call something unclean that God didn't call unclean, because that was the scripture he gave us. And pastor, my dad, which is a weird relationship, if he's your dad and your pastor, then like, when's he your dad? When's he your pastor? Anyways, I haven't figured it out yet, but it works. And so what happened was Aaron and I were in charge. And what happened after I played this, my mom was sitting beside one of our, our volunteer staff there who was watching. And he was also a musician. And he was getting a little bit jealous. And so what happened was after we had closed the set, I thought, okay, that's good. I think it's, I think it's good. I think that's good for the night, for the music. He went home and got his guitar with another buddy who was on the same dream team working. And he went home and got his guitar. And he wanted to go and play on the stage now. 
And it's just one of those leadership moments when sometimes you just know, right? Are you in charge of anybody? Sometimes you just know, like, I don't think that's a good idea. I just think it needs to end, you know. Your kids just want to do it one more time. You're like, I think we need to stop before somebody gets injured. I just think it's, and so I just made a leadership call, and I'm like, I don't think we should do this right now. Anyways, he got mad. He talked somebody else into getting mad. How many people know that, like, when you get upset, there's always sympathizers? Right? So it's not like one family gets upset about something in the church because we play hip-hop in the lobby or something. They, it's a sympathizer, too. Like, yeah, we also agree sort of with them, but we have to be on their team because we're friends. No. And so I did something that day. See, what you need to do in the times in the middle, in the passionate patience, this is what you have to do and what I had to learn how to do, and my parents taught me how to do this. You have to, in the passionate, this is the work to be done. You have to develop a playbook. A playbook. A, you ready? Principle over emotion playbook. A principle over emotion, that's worth clapping for, playbook. You want your kid to act principle over emotion with a playbook. Well, you gotta show them your playbook and you gotta have one. The only time you can get a principle over emotion playbook is through trouble when you work it out in the waiting time, it's the only time to make this kind of a playbook, in the waiting time, now I'm not saying something big's not gonna happen and you're not gonna make a principled decision, but this type of resilience over time only comes in the waiting. And you build this, and then all of a sudden when you have principle over, char- over uh, emotion playbook, then you have character. And when you have character, you'll be alert and you'll be ready. When God opens the door, you'll open the door at the same time and it will happen for you. Principle over emotion playbook. This is what I did. I, I, went, I went back, I went to my dad's house, and I'm like, hey, pastor, I don't know if I screwed this all up, but this is what I think happened. And then dad did something that God will do to you sometimes that is so irritating. Because I want an answer now. Did I do right or did I do wrong or is it his fault? Because it's probably his fault. Why don't you just tell me it's his fault? When you have to wait for that thing that you've been waiting for for so long, and then you get to wait some more. And my dad says, I'll deal with that two weeks from today. To his own son, his own flesh and blood, whom he loved, his firstborn son, whom firstborns are so much better than everybody who comes after. We get all the rules. They break all the rules. They experiment on us. They mess us up. And so... He said, in two weeks, I'm going to deal with this. And then he says, then he says, you ready for the playbook? Don't talk about it with anybody. I like talking (laughs) with everybody. Don't talk about it with anybody. I went home. Aaron says, what happened? I can't talk about it. What do you mean you can't talk about it? You talk about everything. I can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. Why? Pastor said I shouldn't talk about it. I guess I won't talk about it. Playbook. Playbook. My dad gave me a playbook. Don't talk about it. You know what? If I talk to her about it, if you got a bad playbook, you run a bad play, if I talk to her about it, she got to be on my team. Or I'll make her life miserable. Right? Oh, nobody's married in here. Don't you sit there. Your kids tell me stuff about your marriage. I know. Everybody's like, really? No, 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 no. (laughs) 
You tell your friend something that you're offended about or something that you've been told not to or something that you, in your playbook, you got a bad playbook and you talk too early, they got to be on your team. And now they're third party offended when they weren't even there. When you might not even have the right to be offended because it's not your call. And it wasn't my call. I passed it up the ladder. As soon as I passed it up the ladder, it's not my call anymore. And if I talk about it, I'm going to get in trouble. You know what two weeks did for me? I went from, I'm right, to like, maybe I'm not right. To this is what humility does in the, in the character, in the waiting, in the, the steel backbone of virtue. To like, maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. I'm totally wrong. In two weeks, I came back and I'm like, it's all on me anyways. You don't have to say anything. I'll fix it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I got it. It's on me. You know what? By then, it didn't even matter about the issue. And can I say this? I'm telling you right now, somebody by the Holy Spirit, it's not about the issue. The issue is only there to give you an opportunity to write a playbook. That is it. It's not the issue. All the issue will do is to tell you how impatient you are or how lazy you are that's all it will do. It will reveal something. And isn't that a blessing? Don't you want to know? I have to know if something's not working right in the church. I have to know. I hate it. Edwards calls me up the other day and he's like, there's good news and bad news. I'm like, just give me the good news. And I mean, like, by just, I mean, don't give me the bad news. He's like, well, I got to tell you the bad news. And I'm like, no, I like good news. I shoot people who be bad news to me. Shoot the messenger, man. I want happy people around me. No, he's like, don't you want to know? Of course I want to know. Little. Passionate patience. What do you do? What's your playbook look like? Here's a a thought. When I get a weird email from somebody or somebody gets offended at me, I have a 24-hour rule. I'm not talking to you for 24 hours. And if I'm still mad, I'm going to add another 24 hours. Because, man, I can send something to you. I can tell you exactly what I think about you. I can tell you exactly what I think about your logic and your theology, too. I'm a pastor's kid, man. You think I haven't heard it before? I have heard it. I have seen you before. I love you, but I have seen lots of you. What do you mean? My kid's been talking to you? (laughs) No, no, no. It's an experience thing, but here's the deal. How I feel about it doesn't help you in the end. I was talking to the team a little bit yesterday about leadership. Leadership is caring. It's not just picking up your burden, but now it's picking up other people's burden and caring so much that they hit the finish line and actually caring about that more than you care about if you hit the finish line. And in that, God will help you hit the finish line. Your playbook. What's your playbook look like? 24-hour rule. So when I get something, I put, I put it on the back bench for 24 hours, and then I do this other awesome thing, which I hate doing. I talk to somebody who's going to disagree with me. Be like, I'm thinking about responding like this. And then somebody nice will be like, well, maybe they didn't come at it like that. I'm like, they came at it like that because they're jerks. They'd be like, well, maybe they're not. Maybe they're just hurt. Fine. Or like, they're just at this like this because their relationship with their dad is a mess. And you represent an authority figure. And I'm like, they're just acting like jerks. They're like, there's people. I talked 24 hours, and I talked to somebody who will disagree with me. doesn't mean that in the end I don't do something, but in the end it's weighted with both sides of the thing. It's a playbook. I don't respond for 24 hours. I don't have to get worked up. Why let the devil control your timing? That's all he wants to do is control your timing and get you to reach for the right thing in the wrong time, which becomes the wrong thing. To try to get you into a relationship before you're ready. To try to get you a promotion before your character is there. 
to try to get that job and that career before your character can handle it. Because we all tell ourselves, when we get there, then we'll be honest. No, you will not. Got to get honest first. Got to get your character online first. It's passionate patience. This passionate patience. Well, Israel had been passionately impatient for a savior. By the time the savior came, they didn't even recognize him because all they wanted was a savior who looked like this. All they wanted was an answer that looked like this. And they had talked the fake God in their head into like, this savior will free us from Rome. And Jesus comes and that's not what happened. He didn't look like what they expected. Sometimes the answer is that you're not alert to what God is doing because you're still looking for this other thing. And he's like, I've got this thing. You're opening the wrong door. Passionately patient so that your heart gets in this place where you'll accept whatever it is that he's planned for you because it's for your good. He says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts, to, thoughts of good to give you a future and a hope. And we're like, and make it look like this. And he's like, if I gave that to you, it would wreck your life. No, no, no. I've got a plan. I know God is saying, like, I know you. I know you. 400 years, the prophets had been silent by the time of Jesus. 400 years. You think you've been waiting for like four months for something? 400 years. Like 20 generations. The prophets have been silent since the time of Malachi. If you want to know why they were silent, read the book of Malachi. Try book chapter 3. It talks about generosity with God. He's like, y'all are stealing from me. And we're, everyone's like, everybody in church is like, no, we're not. He's like, yeah, you are, actually. You are. You're keeping it. You got my stuff in your pocket. What about my house, God is saying. Then he's like, if you don't care about my house, dibs out. 400 years of radio silence. And the desperation and the tension is building and building. And Rome is a cruel taskmaster. And the time is getting right, but not everybody recognized. And watch this. It says in Matthew chapter 1, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. From the patriarchs to the first real godly king, 14 generations. And all this time they're like, just give us a king. Just give, we want to have a king. And then they got Saul and that was, didn't work out. And another 14 from David to the Babylonian exile. Oh, we don't like that. And yet another 14 from the Babylonian exile to Christ. 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. The trouble is you and I are somewhere from like 2 to 13. And you don't know where you are. And you're like, God, bring the Messiah today. And God's like, in my time, I'll, I'll save you. In my timing, I'll do it. Just trust me. It says the birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. My main character today, of course it's Jesus, but watch the father of Jesus on this earth. Not the father. Anyways, you know the story. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. The trouble. Imagine the betrayal he's facing right now. Can you imagine a worse betrayal than this? He's setting up his entire life to marry this girl and she cheats on him. And then what? Tries to get away with it? Oh yeah, but you're like, yeah, but I've read the scripture. Yeah, but he didn't have it. He didn't know. It wasn't, I didn't sleep with anybody. Right, because that's never been said before. <laughs> right, oh yeah, right, right. Joseph, chagrined but noble. 
Betrayed, but noble. In pain, but noble. His playbook. This is not her first rodeo. Listen. If he waited until this moment to develop that playbook, they could actually have killed her for adultery in that day. If he was like you and I, passionately impatient, maybe that's what would have happened. Maybe judgment would have triumphed over mercy. He had a playbook already. It's not a mistake that Jesus was born into this man's family. Not a mistake. When Jesus went to the temple when he was like young, you remember that? And then he stayed too late and he was arguing with the scholars. But it says, when he went home, he became subject to Joseph and Mary. Subject. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. Well, he was already. He grew in. He became mature in. He wasn't what he was when he died at the age of 33 or what. He wasn't then what he was when he was three. He had to grow up in it. If he had to grow up in it, you will definitely have to grow up in it because you are not Jesus. He was subject to this man. Why? Because God, his heavenly father, needed to give him an earthly example of how to create a playbook, what to do under pressure. And this man gave it to him. Watch, watch. He determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. I'm disgraced, but I'm still noble. And I'm more concerned about her, even though she betrayed me. I'm still more concerned about her. And her life's going to get real bad real quick. I'm trying to figure out a way to do this honorably and honor my God in spite of what she did. While he was still trying to figure a way out, this didn't happen in 10 minutes. His playbook, he had time on here. He had this development time. He had this patient time. He had this thing where he did not make a fast decision. God's angel spoke in a dream. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're lazy or if you're angry, God can't speak to you. Your ears, emotion closes off your ears. Principle and character open up your ears in the midst of trouble. Emotion closes your ear off. God will be speaking. His door will be open, but your door will be shut. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. What? She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, listen, listen. You, Joseph, you, Joseph, don't miss how important this is. You, Joseph, the one who stops when I speak, the one who listens when I speak, you, I picked you because of this. Listen, you will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. You will have the greatest honor that any man has ever had in naming your son Jesus, the one who saves. You. Because I found a man with a playbook. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. 700 years before Isaiah had spoken, watch for this, a virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. 700 years before. He had other contemporaries, two, three, in the same time period that all thought the Savior was coming in their generation. But 700 years it took. Don't lose faith in the seven months. Don't lose faith in the seven years. Not yet doesn't mean no. They will name him Emmanuel. Hebrews, God is with us. Now listen, I'm just going to end this scripture as I move into here. When he came to the village of Nazareth, this is Jesus in his ministry. Watch this. His boyhood home, he went as usual to this church 
on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place, Isaiah, 700 years before, where this was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, all the things you're hoping for right now in your life. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? How can this be? This man over here doesn't look like somebody who could have a savior. How can this be? I'm suffering in silence. If I had a platform, I would at least know what the suffering is for, but I don't. I would at least know why a playbook is important if I had people who listened to me, if I was Instagram famous, if I was, if I was Joseph. But maybe he was just there to name Jesus and to give him a playbook. And you don't know what the next generation is going to do for Christ. I believe that there's a spirit of God, that the spirit of God is going to pour out a move on Canada. I don't know which generation it's in, so I'm going to give my daughters a playbook. Because if it's not me, I pray God it'll be them. And if it's not them, then they need to train their children and give them a playbook. And everybody's like, but he doesn't look like much. But you know what Jesus would say, I think? The same thing I'd say about my dad. Oh, this is my dad. He gave me a playbook. You can crucify me, and I'm still not going to get mad, and I'm still going to forgive you, because i got a playbook for my dad. Isn't this Joseph's son? He'd be like, yeah, my dad. My dad. He doesn't look like much to you. He's just a carpenter. He's my dad. He's my dad. He taught me everything he knows, and I needed it. He taught me the ways of God, and I needed it. Listen, no matter how insignificant you feel, build the playbook now. Don't build it because God wants to make you famous. He wants to make you impactful. You're going to talk to somebody as, as school, when school gets back in. And they're thinking of committing suicide, but you don't know. And if your playbook is selfish, and all you do is think about you, you're going to miss it. And somebody at work is just trying to get by at their life, and they're, they're waiting for an invite to come to church, or to go to your small group, or just to breathe the butt, just something. You to pray for them, Something. And if your playbook doesn't involve them and it's in, in this mature place, all you're going to do is pick up your burden and carry it around and concentrate on it. But there's the, their burden. Don't ever wait for a platform. Don't ever wait for significance. What makes you significant is your playbook. And it's never too late to start. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here right now. Everyone in all of our families, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would, by your spirit, help us to know exactly what it is that you have sp spoken to each one of us here, the thing we're waiting for. And show us, Father, that the playbook that we need, we need to develop right now. And the reason that we're waiting is to develop the playbook. And when the playbook is done, then the time will be fulfilled. And our character will open a door and keep us alert for what you want us to do. We love you, Lord. And we appreciate that you speak your word to us every week, every morning. Father, you are there for us and you are faithful. This Christmas time, I pray that Lonely hearts would be filled with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.